0: Tanguality Base here. The eagle TJ Hendy, surf lifesaver and professional Ironman, Go Coast local ambassador for Surfers Paradise Surf Lifesaving Club, where you're also an active patrolling member of the club. TJ, a true waterman, welcome to the podcast.
1: Oh, thanks for having me mate, I haven't done a podcast in a while so I um, am excited to talk
0: about this, this chapter of the life and uh, what's been happening. I'm keen to know more and we have to thank Andy Fell for connecting us because I think you had done some work with Andy in a speaking engagement you know, po- possibly over a year ago now and he recommended you as having someone with a story to tell and I'm always fascinated by the adventure side of things because there's so many parallels that you can learn from those conversations that anyone can apply in life. And as a professional lifesaver uh, and professional Ironman, you might have thought that you'd have come through the classic Gold Coast nippers route, but you didn't. It was 16 when you started surf lifesaving. So what was life like before that? And then what brought you to that at 16 years old? Yeah, just a quick shout out to Andy Fell. He's an awesome
1: bloke and one of those guys that... Um kind of backs you no matter what like he's seen something in me and really likes the way I talk and my energy and stuff like that so I'm um, very appreciative and grateful for my relationship with Andy Fell um but yeah yeah I didn't start the um Man dream or Man route the normal way that most of the kids around here uh, probably would have and that's the usual kind of nippers and uh you know surf club movement early on and Early on i just had my dad who was the greatest of all time um in the surf sports arena and and in the iron man racing stuff so he didn't want to put too much pressure on me at all um which i'm grateful for um and i think as well it was just one of those things where we loved sharing the ocean together so i was getting all those skills um with him and it was you know father-son time which was far more valuable than, than uh, anything else I would have been doing down at the, the beach on a Sunday morning. So um, for me, I sort of uh, fell in love with the ocean and knew that it gave me something that nowhere else kind of could. Um, and then I fell in love with surfing before, before Ironman and kind of uh, had a crack at surfing competitions and stuff like that. Um, I probably didn't know how to be like professional or to be coached at that point in my life. Uh, that was probably like anywhere from 10 to 16 years old that I was kind of chasing that sort of stuff. Um, and yeah, I wasn't the best surfer in the world either. So uh, it got to a point at about 16 years old where um, I, all my mates were partying and stuff like that. And um, they were all surfers. And for me, I, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't gonna work a normal job. I felt like that was, my life was meant for a little bit more than a nine to five or an office job. and um you know nothing against that sort of work but for me i felt like i had to go out there and create my own life and um it sort of fell into
0: the iron man iron man world through a few different things because surf and surf competition is very different to iron man competition and was it just were you just drawn to the ocean and it was any way to be on the waves Or did you gradually go? Actually, I'm interested in that first past the post concept. You know, being the fastest, being the fittest, as opposed to the more artistic nature, perhaps, of surfing.
1: Yeah, well, you got that little mixture with surfing where it's artistic, but you got it. You get scored on it. You know, so um, I was always competitive, and I never liked losing. I didn't get like didn't get um, much out of much excitement out of coming. You know. 15th or 20th in a surfing contest I would always like to be you know in the final or something like that so I was definitely competitive but the artistic nature of surfing uh, does translate over to like Ironman when when the surf's a bit bigger um, and there's a few little sandbanks or uh, rips to play with and you've got to kind of see things that other people don't see um and that's, that was definitely a strength of mine early on in my career. And uh, something I'm trying to get back to at the moment is bringing that artistic point of view through a little bit more. And um, yeah, no, it's, it's been a, a constant reevaluation of how to bring through that competitor as well um, and trying to work out how to be the best version of myself uh, as a fitness professional, but
0: also you know, as mentally and emotionally. So a natural on on the waves, and you mentioned that you weren't hugely coachable at that point in, in your life, and I'm interested in building up a picture of, of who you were then. Um, w- was that in that you, you weren't keen on taking instruction, or you just had your own way that you wanted to follow?
1: Um, it probably wasn't even that. I think it was more just that I wasn't aware of what people did to be good, you know, or to be great. Um, I think I didn't realize that there was other kids my age going down on a Tuesday and a Thursday afternoon and... Getting thirty-minute heats in um, just to practice their surfing and be uh, re-evaluated every week or twice a week to, um, you know, progress forward. I was just going free surfing and then showing up to competitions and uh, trying to outsurf people with no real tactics or
0: anything like that. So, at what point did that shift to go? I actually want to do something, and and I know there's a process that I have to go through to be as good as I want to be. So I'm going to spend some time understanding and learning about how to be the best at this thing that I'm going to choose.
1: Yeah, well, I think um, when, I, when I chose Ironman, it was like there was a coach there, um, Zane Hamill at Surfers Paradise Surf Club. I I kind of started to have that, that, that reflection there uh, through him of how to get better, how to go faster, how to get fitter, what to do. Um, And I realized at that point I was like at the bottom, at the very bottom. And uh, it was just a process of really a physical learning at that point, like how to physically get better. Um, And so there was a program in place that everyone at Surface Paradise followed and uh, I had to work out how to get my body and myself fit enough to follow that program. And it was just building up to it and
0: a lot of trial and error. And you mentioned earlier that you know, a lot of the skills in Ironman you had naturally through spending time with your dad on the waves and you know you talk about him being the greatest of all time and I think you know, six-time six Australian champion Hall of Famer I think it's a subject that we need to reflect on how, how was it moving into that Ironman surf life-saving world with that name attached to you?
1: Yeah, it's an it's an interesting one. Like the the more eyes are definitely on me, and um, it's something I'm pretty grateful for because it's a it's afforded me the life of you know a full time Man, because I haven't been the best yet. I like for a, a long period of time I haven't stayed the best. I've won races and um, I've had moments where I've shown shown my potential and stuff like that, but. Um, if I'd only won a couple of races and done what I've done in my sport, I'd probably have a little bit more of financial pressure on me, but I've had some good sponsors along the way that have seen the, um, the pressure that's on me as well um, and wanted to get behind and support that and uh, the journey of someone that's, yeah, trying to step out of their shadow and has had moments out of, out, outside of the shadow and um, and I think, you know, my journey's a little bit different to everyone else's um, and I think... It's pretty. It's a pretty special one, and something that I don't take lightly. I think, um, you know, there's with the with the Hendy name. There's something that comes with step putting your foot on the line, and uh, I'm trying to do my best in in representing TJ, but then also the Hendy name in a in a different aspect as well.
0: What's it like sitting around the kitchen table and having a chat about Iron Man? Because not that many people will come from a family where one member's fantastically good and then the next member's potentially fantastically good as well. Not many people experience those conversations. So you know you know what you're doing, your dad knows what you're doing and you're sat around the kitchen table and you're having a chat about it and he's done it all. What do those conversations go like? Does he try and coach you or does he leave you very much to your own devices?
1: Yeah, it's a good one because like my dad wouldn't really coach me or give me anything like in terms of advice unless I ask. Um, it was early on, I think there was a stressful moment, I can't remember it too well, but I remember just feeling a little bit of, a little bit of angst and a little bit of anxiety and I said, Dad, I just, I don't want you to coach me, I don't want you to be the world's best Ironman right now, I want you to just be my dad and he, from that moment on, he's been really good with that. Um, At the same time, he's also handled for me a fair bit, so he's the one grabbing my craft as I come in and out of the water and... Um, looking after me in that aspect so he's had moments where he obviously has to give me advice and sort of spur, like find something to motivate me in the middle of a race or say a key word or something to bring me back to the moment um, but outside of that it's kind of just like how are you going with it you know this and that and he kind of holds me accountable without feeling like it's too much pressure.
0: Yeah and you know as someone that's a new father yourself now have you picked up any things and gone actually that's a great blueprint for me to follow because you want your children to succeed and it doesn't matter what they do but you want them to do well have you taken things from that going actually here's a good approach that i'm going to apply as she becomes you know five years old seven years old ten years old thirteen years old
1: yeah for sure i think something i'd like to um apply there is like just the presence of not being reactive um i think my dad did that really well in terms of like he Uh, didn't sort of push anything onto me react too much he was also very calm all the time and um, I try to apply that now as with a young toddler running around when she's fallen over or hurting herself not to be the one to like sort of be like ah you know like and jump towards Oh, she's hurt herself I, I let her make her reaction um, and then as that grows, that will turn into, you know, different things that hurt her feelings, whether it's someone at school or, uh, kindy saying something mean to her or, um, you know, different pressures coming in on life I'll let her have her feelings and then let her to digest it, um, with me rather than me f- sort of applying some way that she has to feel about something. So,
0: um, I think my dad sort of taught me that. And you do a beautiful thing as well That that is a lesson that I've learned from the conversations I've had with you before we've even met over WhatsApp when you say, I'm spending a lot of time with my daughter today i don't have my phone so don't expect to reply back yeah that's pretty cool not many people do that and and i fall and foul and gone. oh shit! i need to not do this yeah
1: yeah no i, I like to be present and i don't worry I, I do get caught up in you know every now and then still picking up the phone or getting caught up in something that happened before my time with her or worrying about something after i drop her back to her mom or different things like that but it is a constant learning curve and um I think she is probably been my biggest like, teacher, or um, well, not probably, definitely been my biggest teacher over the last two years, and even while she was um, in Harriet's stomach as well, just um, having that learning process of staying calm and not jumping towards the future.
0: Were you a bit bit more of a hothead when you were younger, or will you always have a degree of calmness about you? No, I've, I've always had calmness, but I, I feel like
1: um it was calmness through suppression early on um and it was like i'll just suppress it so i'd stay calm but eventually emotions start to just come out and as you get older like i feel like men somewhere around 25 26 have this thing go on where they start to if they've been suppressing their whole life um it starts to just find its way out and so my lessons to stay that calm person that i've been through the the emotions and the um this, the kind of yin-yang of life that we, that we sort of feel and have come out and the good, bad, right and wrong and all the different things that we sort of can suppress when we're young but don't often get to suppress as we get older.
0: Do you have a, a mindset protocol now? And we'll get back to the Ironman career in a minute. But while we're on this subject, you know, do you have a, a mindfulness, a meditation? Do you have any practices to, to hone your mind? It, there's
1: been more in the past but i've kind of just i feel like there's two ways to meditate one's obviously sit and breathe and and listen to your thoughts and the other is to do life you know and and to meditate use life as a meditation and everything that's coming in and happening to you and um you know is, is happening for you and it's like staying conscious and aware of what's going on why you feel feeling a certain way and um and and being able to listen to your thoughts, observe your thoughts um, throughout all the craziness that happens.
0: You have to be able to reflect and do that. And and I guess the sport that you've chosen, you do spend a lot of time on your own. Typical from when the gun goes off to the finish line, what's the the elapsed time through that Ironman competition?
1: Uh, So the the traditional one's 12 to 15 minutes, which is a sprint race. Um, And that's like being the short, fast, exciting. And then as we went professional... Uh, Back in my dad's era, they got up to sort of two hours in the professional uh, series and that can be broken up into three 30-minute races with some rest or different things like that. And then we've got our one major one, long one each year, the Koolangatta Gold, which is four hours. Uh, So there's not not an exact time on all the events, but... um, yeah, it's it's always yeah, it's it's hard to train for the cool and get go a gold and for a twelve minute race at the same time though.
0: Yeah, I imagine it is, and we'll get onto that. And I think, but what that shows is, from a competition perspective and a training perspective, you spend a lot of time with yourself in your own head. Yeah. So it's pretty important to understand how you feel and then what might be causing it, you know, so that you can manage that properly. Yeah. Or just accept it.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, like I can. For a while, when I couldn't quite listen to my thoughts and, and and be the observer, I started with the affirmations of like just reprogramming your brain and re uh, the the way that you're thinking. And um, now I kind of just sit there and I just I, only time I bring in an affirmation now is when I watch a negative thought come in, and I've I've got like a three second rule where I try to catch something in three seconds and just rewire it. I might do five affirmations over the top of it uh, real quick, whether that's paddling on the on the surf ski and I hear the thought going, oh, I'm a bit tired today, you know, and I, my, my thought might change to, oh, I recover quicker than everyone else, I recover, you know, like and I've only just started doing this recently and I've um, recently found another level of professionalism in my sport and um right now the neutral grand series is going on and i'm not in it for the first time in uh i think eight years so it's exciting time for me to be rebuilding uh behind the scenes while everyone's racing
0: yeah so reframing it and that that's gold because i do a lot of running and and it'll be the same for any sport sometimes you just put your running shoes on and you get out and it just doesn't feel great yeah and then the thoughts will go i won't do 10 i'll do seven yeah i won't do seven i'll do five that's enough for today that's a time where I need to be catching that quickly and going. Here's a day where you can push through and actually earn earn, yeah. earn the miles. You know, slog yeah. through, earn the miles.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Sorry, uh, but yeah, I think, I think what I've I've done a little rule now is like when I'm there, get it done. You know, like if I'm there, I find a way to get it done. And if I have that question in my head can I get this done today? Like, go for it. And if I feel like it's just like a question in my head, am I going to get sick? Or like, am I a bit run down? Then I start to go, okay, if that thought's coming in, that's not, that's a little bit different. If I've got a scratchy throat or this or that, that's like time to, that's time to slow down and recover. Uh, But if it's just like, I'm tired and I'm sore, I just will find a way, Um, which is different to me in the past. I've sort of shied away from that. And, the old saying of uh, hard, work, "hard work beats talent" if talent doesn't work hard. I've been on the wrong end of that yeah. that saying for a long time, and uh, it's something I'm trying to change.
0: Yeah, yeah, because you know when you're born with that talent, you have to make sure that you that you're not just riding on that, and you're putting the effort in as well. Yeah. So let's get back to Surf Life Saving Club. There's a there's a club coach. You're now starting to understand what it means to work at getting better. You're around 16 years old at this yeah. point in time. How quickly? do you realise, and do others realise, that you're actually a bit better than average?
1: Um, I think it was pretty early on, skill-wise. I remember there was a carnival at Broadbeach. We had, like, Darren Mercer and Grant Kenny, some of the great guys down, watching their sons sons and uh, daughters down the beach as well. And I think there was, like, a semi-final of um, one of the iron-person races, one of the iron-men races of uh, the under-17, maybe. Yeah, iron and... um, I remember the day was like four foot and there was this big chunky wave that came through and everyone got flogged and i just went over the falls with it and again and carried it the whole way to the beach and i came out the, on the sand by myself and i was walking off from the beach and they were like you've got it in you don't you, you know like so i remember that, I, that was the moment i started feeling it um where i was like you've got something in you you know you've you've carried something on from your dad and i'm like oh well now they've seen it i've got to keep doing it so um yeah, there's been a lot of moments since then, but that was um, that was one that probably
0: stands out to me. And a situation like that, looking back, was that look, or was that just spending a lifetime on the waves, you know, with your dad and going, I, you know, I know what's going on here. I can read it. I know where it's going to go. I know, I know where I need to put myself.
1: Yeah, no, that that particular way that I held that wave to the beach, I've done that 150,000 times probably. So I uh, just, I reckon I've done that every day as a kid. 20 times a day just going out for a body surf in the afternoon or in the morning with my dad so um yeah no it's it's something that i had to work hard at getting my times down in the pool or in the flat water on the board and ski but um when it came to just like jumping on the waves and and going out through the surf i'd sort of had that dialed in already
0: so the technique was really good the knowledge the understanding what, what was your personal fitness level like at that point
1: I was explosive. Um, I could go and do a, like, say, swim, swim swimming carnivals at school. I'd go win the 50-metre freestyle, and then I wouldn't even uh, make the final of the 100 metres. So, it, like, it was just as soon as it got over 30 seconds, I would I would absolutely fall apart, yeah. But uh, I had no endurance in me. I'd had no background of, you know, mileage in, in, in the tank. So, yeah, no, it was something that definitely took a while to, to bring in.
0: So, so it's spotted that there's something in you, you now feel an obligation to, to build on that talent, explosive, need to put a bit more work in for your longer term stuff. What does the next few years look like? At what point do you start to do some big competitions?
1: Yeah, so like the Ironman stuff like was just a bit of fun, as more, I really loved board paddling probably till I was about 18. Uh, and, then, and then I remember uh, just starting to fall in love with like, you know, the the other aspect of competition, but also like getting up early and trying to turn it into my job, uh, turn it into a profession and find a way to you know get myself to a level that I could get paid to go do that sort of stuff and then have coffee with my coach or breakfast with my coach and my friends afterwards. And um, that got really exciting for me. Um, so, I think it was sort of two years of just sort of not fluffing around but having a bit of fun, natural talent on the board, a little bit of swimming talent but not too much fitness Uh, and then a decision came along probably just as I was finishing school close to 18 uh, when I realised I was going to have to get a a, a real job Um, and I sort of wanted to find something else.
0: So you didn't want the real job. So now it was time to try and find a commercial way to pursue this. How do you even start with that?
1: Uh, so if I was training eight times a week at that point, I'd had to get it to 16. Um, I had to get to the, the body to a point where I could hold up 16. If I was swimming uh, 10 or 12Ks a week, I had to get it to a point where I was swimming 20Ks a week, which uh, to this day, I still, I still struggle with that, to be honest, the swimming component and the mileage um, mentally, but also just not having the background as a kid, um, probably led a little mental blockage in my head where I just didn't think I could get the kilometres done that everyone else was doing. Um, it's something I've changed a bit lately, but, uh, I, th- I guess what I would say is like, I was kind of, I had to go, you know, live on the wire for a little bit where I, I was lifeguarding, um, for 30, $32 an hour or whatever, um, where I was covering lunches uh, of the permanent guys on the on the main beaches to let them go have their little rest for an hour, uh, so I'd do it three hours, maybe three to four times a week, um, and that would be paying for my petrol and, and my food um, outside of when I was at home. And you know, as a young guy training pretty hard, your food bill's pretty high, so. Um, Obviously, uh, my stepmom and dad still looked after me. Uh, I was living with them at that point, um, and my mum would look after me where she could as well, with food for dinners and um, when I was at home. But you know, if I wanted to eat out, it was all me, which is absolutely fair. And um, they were really good. They didn't charge me uh, like rent for the first few years, and um, that allowed me and uh, gave me the opportunity to you know build up my workload. And I think it was about a four-year process from sort of 18 to 21 or yes so probably 17 to 21 that i dialed in and and got those that workload up and um got myself into the professional series
0: and that's the neutral grain series yeah so you started that about 21
1: uh yeah yeah so when i qualified i was the like equal youngest guy in the in the series that year and um and also i think now that it's changed a bit the younger guys are uh, qualifying a bit earlier there's a 17 year old ethan Callahan who won one of the big races um a couple of weeks ago but when when i came along it was kind of like all shannon shannon Eckstein, k next uh kai hurst ali day um matt pool all the guys that were there um hugh doherty were all still they were all like nearing on. well ali day wasn't quite, but um nearing on 30 and the the age group was a lot older um since then it's it's a lot of them have retired and the 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 new age has kind of come through what's your typical retirement age out of this sport? uh it depends like there's a lot of guys that don't make it to 25 because they didn't quite make it into the top three professionally uh where you got to kind of get there or around that around about that sort of spot to keep going um so they, they don't make it there because they have to go, you know, make a living. Uh, but then if you, if you make it and you start winning series and Australian titles and stuff like that, I think uh, you could probably go to your, between 32 and 35, yeah.
0: There's life for the old dogs, yeah? Yeah. So the the grain series, the professional series, where does that run from and to? Where are the events staged? How big is it? Is it Australia only or does it move internationally?
1: Yeah, so the NutriGrain series is all Australia. Usually, mostly on the eastern seaboard. Um, every now and then we might go to Perth or uh, Victoria, but yeah, no, it's it's an Australian series, and we're I think they've gone live in uh, New Zealand for the first time this year, maybe, um, or the last couple of years. So I can't re- really remember, but uh, we do have our world titles every second year overseas. Um, I've raced in. France, I've raced in the Netherlands. Um, we, we were supposed to do Morocco and Italy as well, but COVID um, delayed Morocco to uh, either next year or the year after. And um, and Italy, only the international teams, like a small amount of people got to go.
0: Where is the sport the biggest globally? definitely australia yeah. yeah yeah uh
1: we we do get challenged a fair bit by new zealand south africa's got a strong contingent uh america have have some people pop their head in every now and then and, and pull off a result um i'll uh, probably miss another country that ha- have some all right results here we we get a few japanese people come over and race and train with us and a few europeans come over and race and train with us which is pretty cool to have them along as well and um you know just a different little bit of culture and sometimes we go visit them over there after uh they've come and visited us
0: and where was the sport born like I want to feel that it was born in Australia
1: yeah I think it was um I'm not I'm not that great with the history of it all but I'm pretty sure uh Manly Beach or around that area the first surf club happened um and I'm pretty sure it was only men at that point that were allowed in the surf clubs and uh, it obviously grew to the point where all beaches like Bondi and Surfers Paradise that had all these tourists start to come, um, needed rescuing and looking after. And uh, there was a lot of rules. And uh, I think even at the start, maybe, I'm not 100% sure, but you, not everyone was allowed to swim uh, as well.
0: So the, the the Ironman competition, what does that look like in terms of the typical event? What, you know, what do you have to do? I know there's paddling involved. You know, I know, the swimming involved. What does the event look like?
1: Yeah, so like pretty much we're we're professional lifeguards, and we've created a sport in, called Ironman uh, on the back of that. Uh, in who can rescue someone the fastest uh, on all the different devices that have been used, uh, a board and swim rescue I still use to these da- this day. Uh, ski, which is an ocean kayak, um, I have not seen anyone res- be rescued on a on a. Um, on a ski for a very long time, and we've done it a couple of times at training, probably 10 years ago, but um, yeah, it's, it's a lot more likely that you're gonna rescue someone on a paddleboard or a, uh, with swimming with a tube. We don't swim with a tube in our races, but um, when you're rescuing, obviously, they, they still use the tubes just to grab the people or one or two people and, and keep them afloat. Uh, and then we run at, just in our transitions most of the time from uh, craft to craft or swim to craft, um, and then, yeah, just obviously swimming in and out through the break and,
0: and learning how to hold your craft straight on, on big waves. Yeah, because for anyone that born in Australia, surf lifesaving, Ironman, it's as Australian as Vegemite, but for anyone outside, and I, you know, I come from the UK... You don't realize how important a part of Australian culture surf lifesaving is until you get here and you see them everywhere on the beach in terms of the lifeguards. You understand the surf club culture and you start to realize that the surf club's everywhere and there's a whole community and sporting vibe that goes on through those clubs. And then there's all the commercial ways of sustaining the club financially with food and, and the bar and everything. And you really start to go, this is a huge part of Australian life yeah well
1: mate we're, we're surrounded by water so um and everyone loves our beaches and that's what you know our biggest tourist thing is people coming down for the beaches and to sunbake and go see bondi or surface paradise and uh yeah we definitely uh we we value it around here and sometimes still under undervalue it to be honest i think um we really have a very high standard of what we do um as Ironman and uh some of some of us are the best and most proficient people in rescuing people uh in hairy situations where the ocean's scary and uh it's hard to get an IRB or a jet ski out and and rescue someone and we're still taking the board and or swimming out to to save them so uh yeah it's a beautiful sport and um I think hopefully that in time we can really translate it to the, more of these places that have beautiful beaches and um, you know bring them along for the ride as well.
0: I would have thought somewhere like Hawaii might have might have got into this sport.
1: Yeah, well they they do. It's it's in a different way. They they they've got the very professional lifeguards, but they would like to do their fitness stuff on the SUP or big wave surfing and challenge themselves underwater rock running. That's a different type of challenge. Like it's like they've used different ways to get themselves fit and healthy and proficient in the ocean. Um, and you got the, I think Kailanas in uh, Hawaii, uh, that are like, they're, they're nuts. Like they're going out in 50 foot swell on the jet ski to make sure everyone's safe. Um, and that's something I've I've hung around with um, a few few crew, been the guest at Makaha um, on the on the west coast of Hawaii, and they value themselves and their position in in the community pretty highly as well.
0: Yeah. So, in terms of the making a living at this sport, so you were you were doing lifeguard work, and then you started to compete professionally. How high up in the sport do you have to be before you can start to sustain yourself financially? And does that come through prize money, sponsorships?
1: Yeah, prize money, sponsorships, ambassadorial roles. Um, I like to usually try to offer for my sponsors or people I'm doing ambassadorships for, um, where I do whether I do team building or different things on the side as well, just to bring them along for the ride and offer a different uh, sort of bit of energy for that for what I'm giving and what they're giving me as well um but yeah you I, th- I feel like to really make it over the last 10 years you've had to be top five but with Shoren Shoreham Partners um coming along and sponsoring the other series uh the Shoreham Partners Summer of Surf there's more money coming into the sport and um, I wouldn't be able to give you the exact number on it now but I, th- I feel like there's a few more people that could make it um their full-time job now
0: because when I've been walking along, or riding my bike, or running through Surfers Paradise and Nutrigrains in town, it's huge. It takes up the whole esplanade, and it's a big deal. It's a big sport when it's in town.
1: Yeah, no, a hundred percent. It's um, it, it's something that like I think anyone on the Eastern Seaboard like gets pretty excited by. It's it's it, it's rich in culture, but it's also yeah, it's like we can get absolutely flogged out there sometimes and um, different things go on and uh, also I think like everyone has got themselves in a pretty physically good-looking spot where the the men are good-looking and the the women are like as fit as anyone as well and um, I'm sure people come to, like to see that stuff as well.
0: Why wouldn't you? <laughs> what does a typical uh, training routine look like for you now?
1: Yeah, so I, I, I sort of... I've made it a little bit easier for myself. I um I sw- I swim Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Um under my my best mate's my swim coach now, so that's a pretty cool little situation we've got going. And um and then uh, on a Wednesday and Saturday morning we do our Ironman, so our bread and butter sessions. Uh, and then every afternoon we do board and ski training um to get on the craft and and sort of get our skills up to the level they need to be at and our technique up to the level there as well um but i used to run in the middle or just like mid morning of the day but now um i just run after my session in the afternoon and gym after my sessions in the afternoon as well so that it's like more of my day uh where i'm just not an iron man um and i get to recover and and not think about all that sort of stuff and i show up and i i do the work for an hour or two and then I forget about it for eight hours and repeat. Um, and I feel like that's a really good balance and it's something that for me, like I lo- love asleep sleep during the day because we're getting up at 4.30 in the morning and uh, pushing ourselves to the highest level as early as we can. And um, I think
0: it's kind of what you need to do for your body. And what does your gym session look like? Where, what would you concentrate on typically for your sport? It's more like injury prevention.
1: Um, medium reps, not like too, not too shorter reps or not too longer reps. Like we don't need to build endurance, and we're not trying to get too big. So, you know that eight to twelve reps range, and um, it's more of a full body workout than just like isolating a muscle group. Um, and yeah, everyone likes to have their different things. Like it's the gym. The gym program is the one in Iron Man that is kind of up for debate because some people do it, some people don't. And then between the people that
0: do it, we're probably all in argument of how to do it as well. Everybody always has their own way of doing things. And what about your recovery regime?
1: Uh, so we've got some like cool little... The Gold Coast has turned into a little hub for this sort of stuff of like that holistic approach of saunas and ice baths and... Uh, even sometimes chucking their headphones in. And there's like a few places, more like Byron, where you can go and have like a meditation um, sort of with the head, headphones on and do an hour with some nice lights and try to fully relax or the, the float pools and stuff like that. I like to just stick to the simple ones of like massage and, um, and sleep and then where I, where I can, I'll add in the
0: ice baths or sauna. How do you find the ice, the ice baths? I feel like I should be doing them, but I'm scared of the cold water.
1: I've actually loved lately that there's a guy Andrew Huberman who he talks about all the different scenarios and different things that like where our body's getting the most out of it and I love that he said that 12 hours I mean 12 12 minutes a week is the most that you want to do a cold bath for because other than that after that you sort of um it seems like the body's actually just getting used to it and not getting all the benefits so that's worked mentally a bit for me so i break it up into maybe three sessions in the ice bath a week and might do four times one minute in there or um or one one four minute you know different things like that um and just refresh like sort of change the temperature of the body and then We do overheat a fair bit with how much we train. We get our metabolism firing and sometimes it's good to just refresh it with that that cold sort of shivering uh, stuff that we don't usually get.
0: I went to Riggs at Bundle and I went in the cold pool. So it wasn't fully ice, but it was cold. And the thing that I found about it was my feet and my hands where there's next to no fat coverage that there were the most painful and I, I had to raise my feet out of the pool because it was that bad.
1: Yeah, and I think that's where the magic kind of happens is that it goes into those places and starts sending them, oh, we need some support here and the blood starts flowing around to those places and identif- the brain identifies them as, you know, weak areas or I've got the same. You feel like your toes are going to fall off or snap or something like that. Um but usually, you go in the second time after you've gone back into the, into the hot one or um, things like
0: that, and you go in and that goes away. So yeah, it's all right. <laughs> and you mentioned Huberman, who I think's the number one for for health, well-being, fitness, science-backed, you know, education on the internet right now. And where else do you get your inspiration from? Where else do you keep current, or you learn about new things that are coming out, more research stuff that can help you.
1: Um.
0: I really love Joe Dispenza
1: in terms of like sort of that more spiritual, scientific kind of approach to taking control over your life um, in the way that some people might use the word manifesting, but I think um, creating your life, uh, programming yourself to go outside of the normal program of limiting beliefs um, and then getting into a place where you're the
0: centre of your universe and you create your... Yeah, the picture that's coming out of your eyes. Yeah, Joe's an interesting one and I've I've read some of his stuff and I think I've audio booked some of his material. And and I like where he comes from. Sometimes I, I find that he doesn't communicate what what he wants you to do in a way that I understand. So when when you do the meditation and you think about nothing and you're in nothingness and you are nothing and you're in nothing. I don't I, my, my brain goes, what, what's happening here, Joe? Where, where are you trying to take me? And what does being in nothing do or feel like? And can you can you explain it to me better? Mm. And, and I'm sure he's perhaps done that in other books, but I need to investigate that more.
1: Yeah, I think as well he's another dude that's... Um obviously had to monetize what he's doing a little bit. So he's making money off his books, but then he's making a lot of money out of, you know, bringing people into seminars and having thousands of people in the room. And I think he takes it to another level and ex- probably explains it better in those situations. So I think at some point, hopefully he's in Australia and I can go along to one of those. But yeah, that nothingness and, and going to a place where you're, I feel like it all you go to a place where you just observe just being... Um, it's something that I've done a couple of times and, and come back and and you feel this that's what I talk about with the meditating through life it's like you can see things happening and you see your reactions to it and I like to you know understand that we're in a, in a life where it's kind of duality or there's, there is no good without bad and there is no you know life without death and all the, th- the things that come with being on earth and um, I believe that sometimes being able to get to a state where you're the observer of that and you're not so necessarily in it and you're not so square to it um, is where the power lies
0: how how can we explain that observing to someone that perhaps hasn't achieved that for themselves yet so we talk about observing yourself and you go well that's a bit esoteric what does that mean from your perspective what does that look like how could you describe observing yourself in the moment it starts with, um, I definitely think there's a life
1: event that has to happen for you to actually become aware of being consciousness, you know, having an experience um, where it's like you're in, in your body and you've been going through your routine, you're going through the normal program of life where it's like, you know, buy the house, get the money, work the job, blah, 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 blah that we've become programmed to forget about that we're having an experience as human on a planet. You know, with all these different things that work simultaneously just function so well. And we've just taken them all for granted and we don't not present to that fact that how did this happen? Where does this come from? You know, all those different things and they're deep thoughts that give a lot a lot of people anxiety. And so that people don't like to think about that. And um I definitely think that's the crux of it is starting from a place where you're like, Oh, I actually don't know what we're doing. You know, I don't know. What we're here for, you know. I don't know. Um, I don't know why, you know. I want to do this or that, and and then you get to. For me, I'll walk down the beach or things from that perspective, and I can start soaking it in. Like, see the surface skyline. I'm like, oh my god, that is magnificent. Like, how has this happened? And you know, the, the sand and the particles of the sand. and You start to take in all of those little things from a place where you're like just being conscious that you, and and aware that you're having an experience, and you can't actually explain it. I think it starts with that. Um, and then the rabbit hole after that is to then find purpose within that.
0: Do you ever find yourself in that state when you're mid competition?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've done it a couple of times where I'm just kind of breathing through my nose. I'm relaxing and I'm unconscious I'm of, all right, like, let's just let this be, you know, keep like, you're kind of like, it's like you're, father in yourself in a way um your father in your own ego through the situation and um yeah I, I like mike tyson's quote where it's he says how do you not get a uh, uh tucker carlson says to him how do you not get offended or something when someone comes up to you in the street and he goes when i think i am somebody i take offense but when i remember i'm nobody it, it all doesn't matter and so when there's those situations under under pressure of, uh, you know, needing to win or needing to have a certain result, you're, you're kind of stuck in your ego, your attachment thing, and you're not in a trust of the divine sort of process and the, the universe. You're kind of trying to hold on. I think the, the power lies in in handing over your, your power to a higher power and just saying, all right, I want to do this. Like, what's the best way to do it? And then just listening to the messages that come in um, in, in that being said, it's something I'm training myself up to do better. As, as we talked about, I had to get to 16 sessions a week uh, for my physical body to be able to maintain what I was doing um, and how to be an Man. And now I'm on the same process with this mental, spiritual approach of listening to your intuition, um, putting what you want to do out into the universe and letting it come back to you and taking the attachment out of that. Um, and
0: something I'm definitely training myself uh, up to be better at mm. do you journal
1: a little bit yeah yeah and
0: yeah. that's something that andy fell talks a lot about you know yeah. emptying his head and getting everything out on paper yeah no it, it is a powerful thing and
1: uh just journaling of you know I've, i like to like write down why am i so lucky why am i so healthy why am i this so i actually start to ask myself the question of um you know why am i so good at this or why am i so good at that so i ask the question and then i see the experiential data that I've already created through my day-to-day routine of, you know, becoming good at something or becoming healthy at something or why am I so happy? And you start to bring up all the memories and then it starts to manifest more and more. Um, so I do, I, do, I do a little bit of stuff like that. I don't like to put too much negative things down on paper. Um, I don't know. I, I've always sort of... For a couple of years now, I've kind of always thought that writing and spelling was spelling like the, you know, like when you're putting something down on mm. paper, it's kind of spelling your, what's coming true for you. So I like to focus on the positives, but yeah, um, it's just more, more, there'd be more mindfulness than there would be diary work for,
0: for yeah. sure. So if we're in competition and, and it's just the day of the perfect competition, and we've, it doesn't matter what sport we do or what pastime or what hobby, we'll have all had the perfect day where everything feels like it's helping you. You know, the wind's behind you, you know, the birds are urging you on, your body's, your body's there. So if you reflect back on those perfect competitions, have you been able to distill back and go, well, what, what led to that situation? What had happened that put me in a position where everything just seemed to work both extrinsic and in, you know, internal to your own mind? Yeah,
1: for sure. I'll give, I'll give this one probably a different answer than you thought I would. Um, I'd say like perfect is another, is another aspect of like what we're looking at and wanting it to sort of unfold in, in a way where we're winning or where, Uh, achieving a certain something but i've got into a place in my life where i've seen everything that's happened to me ever as perfect and it's led to me to amazing amazing places and all my losses my sickness my health um every everything that in every moment that's happened has led to perfect things later on and um, whether that's my daughter coming along and you know she was conceived when a race was cancelled that I was very highly wound up about and um, over worried about and it didn't get to happen and then my daughter gets to come along to hang out from that experience um, and um, I think to answer it in the way of like the perfect perfect like scenario in terms of physical and um and like racing results i would say my best stuff has come from uh internally knowing what i want and externally letting go of control um so it's like yeah, you know, oh, i want to win this race today okay forget about that and it's like you've already said that out to the universe i want to win this how do i what do i need to focus on and then it'll be like breathing letting go relax stay in the moment and then it will just all unfold and it's like Kind of now I do it a bit bit more consciously. I say universe, I want to win this race, or I want to come in on the first wave and um, in the first leg, and uh, I'll forget I even said that, and then I'll come into the um, into the beach and I'll be a wave in front, and I'm like, oh, I I sort of planned that without fully putting too much attachment on it. Um, I think that for me is like it's just like letting go of control having a little bit of trust, love for the process, but surrendering to something outside of myself.
0: So you just you're just letting yourself do and execute on all of the prep that you've done without yeah. thinking about I have to win this or I have to be in front of that person or I have to be, you know, at, at this point in the race.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I think the trust part is essential
1: obviously trusting that everything's happening like perfectly uh it's essential as well just to know that there is no like good or bad or right or wrong and way for this to play out um your intention has to be there and then there has to be like lo- lo- a bit of love in that attention you have to like, a t- a intention you have to sort of love what you're doing for the intention to be sort of purposeful and actually um you know like make ripples and then uh surrendering to the The process and to that you have no control as well
0: yeah i think you 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 need to be in a a mindset position of abundance in terms of the success is there and i just have to execute but actually i just have to enjoy what i'm doing and do the best job i can because what you've been making me reflect on past sports that i've done when you were going through that and and i know when i was a kid i used to do bmx racing in fact i did it as an adult as well but i was i was okay as a kid and i got you know pretty high up in in the region And then i remember having a bit of time off and then coming back to the sport and i remember being frightened that i wouldn't win and and i remember it it as clear as day i remember being on a turn and they call them the berms and the sun was shining i could see the shadow of the person behind and i did what what you would what i would had never done before in my life is i hung my left foot out so so i deliberately left an obstacle so they couldn't pass so i went i ended up going a bit slower deliberately tried to defend and hung it out because I was frightened they'd pass and I was frightened that I wouldn't get the result that I felt I deserved rather than just enjoying the race and doing the best I could Mm -hmm. so I was in a position of fear in a position of of, of loss at that point I think I did stop them from passing but it probably felt a bit dirty
1: at Mm. the time yeah no for sure and I think um that's it's good reflection like see there's so many things that come from fear and it's like there's only, that that's that duality thing. There's only kind of love or fear in, in what we're doing. And, and um, it's, it's good to be conscious of, of those different things. Um, I've definitely lived a lot of different
0: experiences through fear. And uh, it comes back to bite in the ass. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you're better off just forgetting about that and doing what you have to do. Yeah. So you did about eight seasons professionally, and then you're not in that series this year. Yeah. So what what series of events have led to that? Um. So I,
1: I kind of got to a place where I felt like I was really close to, um, you know, like getting to the top of the NutriGrain series. I felt like I was going to have a really good year. Um, probably five years ago, four years ago. And I got a little injury, and then uh, that affected me a bit. And then the year after that, I like put a lot of work into coming back, and I ended up getting COVID after the first race, and got long COVID. Um, I then come back from that to get really fit last year, and um, and I won the first race of the season, and then um, right at the same time, split up with my ex-partner. And so all of those things kind of culminated into me taking a little bit of time for myself, um, probably getting to know my shadow self a little bit deeper as well, just like the darkness of myself, um, which has been a good experience for me to have because um, go into those, you know, kind of, I wouldn't use like depression and anxiety as like something that I was seriously in, but I had moments where you struggle. um, And to learn about that, side of myself and be okay with that side of myself um to kind of lose my purpose as an iron man and to reinv- reinvigorate and re-excite you know the why and the goals there has been awesome as well um and yeah I got to this the nutri trials this year and I, I didn't really want to be in there and I just raced the first day just for more a little bit of um a little bit more of uh, racing for the summer of surf, but I didn't want to be in the Nutri-Grain. And, um, yeah, I think for me it was more take that, like, backward step, become the observer of what you're doing a little bit more. And then um, now I'm just – it feels like I'm just going through the motions with, with love rather than fear. Um, and I feel like I'm, like, really in in the place I was as a kid where I can get excited about – all the little things that i used to whether it's the skills or the um the little efforts here or there that you win um but i think what's changed for me is i'm not trying to win those through um ego where it's like everyone watch me um it's more of a sense of expression
0: yeah you want to be excited on race day and before we get into kind of what's next and, and and your race season ahead you mentioned about your shadow self, and I know in previous interviews you've talked about managing demons on your shoulders, yeah. and and you know what would be an example of that? Are they, are they those negative sh- thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think um, so. I like to sort of allude to this stuff as like the the front cover, back cover. So the front cover like I'm the best. Oh, I can beat you all without training. Um, I can. You know, I don't even need to go win this stuff because, like, there's no real point. I know I can anyway. Like, it's a load of shit, you know. Like, it's all kind of the the ego protecting itself in a, in a confident way. Um, and then you've got the polar opposite of that of, like, I'm not good enough. I can't make it. It's not worth my time. Um, all those little things that sort of, uh, you know... Uh, I'm a disappointment. Well, like all these things that sort of aren't true, they none of them are true either, but you've got your egoic self and then your insecure self either side of the spectrum and they're, they're polarizing. They're kind of, um, you know, and the pendulum sort of swings from one to the other if you're not careful. Um, and so I think for me, like the last 12 months, I've just had to identify that neither of those um, sides of the pendulum are me and they're not like my true self and now i get to sit somewhere in the middle and watch the pendulum swing and also understand that that's kind of i get to be conscious of that and as we're talking about be the observer of those things happening and not judge them just be okay with them and they're not going to go away they're just going to be there but as long as i can
0: observe them and understand that that's
1: not the true me then i um i feel a sense of power in that situation
0: so what does the, the season ahead look like for you in this season of, of rebuild, reframe? Uh,
1: yeah, so I'm already in a place where I'm like pretty fit and healthy right now. I feel like three weeks ago I raced, I was not close to even winning a race and I feel like I'm 50% fitter now and um, a lot closer to, you know, being in a position where I could go win one of the summer of surf um, rounds now and that's, that's something I'm aiming for. I've got Four, four weeks or something until uh, one of those races presents himself again, and um, four weeks into training now, so uh, I, I might be able to pull some stuff off in the not too distant future. But really aiming towards just like getting to a place where I'm waking up every morning and I'm striving to yeah to be the observer of. Of the shadow self in the morning when i wake up and say i can't do it or it's it's too hard today and then go and try anyway um and then realizing that i was wrong you know like in that situation and um i'm just enjoying that that process at the moment where it's like i'll show up to racing and i'll have demons pop up and i'll have uh the opposite pop up where i'm cocky or arrogant or this or that and um and i get to keep coming back to be the observer and, and just and be rather than need to, you know, do something
0: or create something and just race from a sense of freedom and happiness. So what are your goals for for the next season? What do you want? What do you still need to achieve?
1: It's it's more for 2024 so far. Um, I would love to go win two races in the two ten thousands in the summer of surf, and I, I feel like I'm putting myself in a good position to go do so. And um, I want to win the Australian Ironman title, which is my dad won that six times. I got really close to it five years ago, and uh, th- these are things that I feel like I'm capable of. And um, for me, it's not about finding out if it's possible, but it's just getting lost lost in the process of of falling in love with myself uh, and knowing that kind of this this sport sets me on fire and um, i think these are the reasons why I'm sort of stepping towards those goals and then uh, from from that forward uh, I want to win all the majors in the sport over the next yeah few years um, so there's cool and got a gold world title nutrient series summer of surf series and Australian title and um, yeah I've got to train my butt off and um, it's something that I'm, yeah, rewired and retraining and, and getting a little bit more lost in the process as I go, and it's exciting.
0: So when it comes to goal setting, is there a particular process you go through?
1: Yeah, it's very similar to what I was talking about earlier. It's like have your intention, uh, then let go of the intention and so, sort of just getting the doingness of of it um, and then just trust that if you work, work your butt off, that it will happen, you know. It's sort of... Uh, if you fully believe that something can happen, uh, then you don't need to worry about how it will happen. Um, so, I don't need to worry about how it will look for me to win an Australian title. What what order the Ironman race will be in? Because we we draw our order out of a out of a hat, so it's never the same order. Whether it's swim board ski or ski swim board or board ski swim, um, all all different orders. Um, whether it's four foot surf or flat surf or um, you know, certain things, whether I have to come out of the first leg first or 16th, um, or just to get in a place where I can win it in all, on all levels, on, from all positions, um, in any, every condition, uh, and just get lost in the training, know why I'm there every day, but uh, surrender as well to, you know, all the different things that uh, I would have liked to control in the past, but realise that I can't control.
0: So to someone like me who doesn't really know the sport that well if I wanted to see you in action this summer where would you recommend would be some of the best events to go to and, and how can I get the most out of the experience as a spectator?
1: Yeah it's pretty inclusive ones for for you guys to come watch because like we're on the beach you don't have to pay uh, entry it's pretty you know there's usually a good spot to watch and it's uh, we've, we've got the shore and Shore and Partners, uh, Shannon Eckstein Classic uh, in February on the Gold Coast. We've got uh, North Bondi and um, I, th- I believe Manly as well um, in in the new year for for the Shore and Partners as well. Um, so they're all they're all exciting races and they're on seven uh, plus as well. I'm not, a sh- not sure on the exact dates of those, but um, and then the Australian I Man Championships later in the year, sort of uh, March, April usually. I, I also don't know the dates, but um, if you just get on Google and have a little look of that, that sort of stuff, um, they're all exciting ones to watch. And the the finals for those are always sort of um, Saturdays between 12 and 3. And then the Shannon Exxon Classic, there'll be a final on the Saturday and a final on the Sunday because it's a double header.
0: That's a busy, busy summer. Yeah. Um, I need to ask a question before we finish up. I wanna know if this is true or not. Can you do a Rubik's cube in 23 seconds?
1: <laughs> yeah, once. Um, I probably got down to like regularly doing it in under a minute, um, but there was one time that it just all fell together for me in 23 seconds. So um, yeah, probably right now, two minutes I reckon, but yeah, just the hands are a lot quicker back then.
0: I've never done one in my life ever. <laughs> I've never managed to do it. I've never. I've tried. I've never managed to do a Rubik's cube.
1: Yeah, there's so many little. it's like little algorithms and processes to follow there. So um, I might have to send you through some protocols to follow. Yeah, because yeah. I,
0: I, in my mind, I don't know how on earth to do it. And you know, I asked the question one because it's an interesting fact to be able to do a Rubik's cube that fast but two, what's different in terms of how your mind is working that is allowing you to spot these patterns and algorithms that, that others can't, you know? And is there a lesson in there for me as well?
1: Yeah, the Rubik's Cube's interesting. For me, the way that I work, and there's a heap of different ways to work it, is I, work, I start at the bottom, I get one side, and I cover the bottom. It's like, say so cover the foundation, and then spin it over, and then start building up to the top. And then once you're at the top layer, you kind of just looking at pieces of the puzzle and you're identifying being there before and knowing the move and there's like a right move a left move a center move and there's all these different things but you've got to be aware and sort of like remember enough to know what move is for the, that position or yeah so are you
0: any good at chess
1: uh not that good no
0: i imagine you would be <laughs> well
1: I'm, i haven't played too much probably give me a few weeks i i'm, I'm so competitive that i'd find i find ways to win things if i really really get uh my love into it you know
0: i've really appreciated this conversation really appreciate your time is there anything i haven't asked that i should have done
1: uh no i think we've covered most of it yeah it's been a good chat and
0: appreciate your time alistair yeah well good luck for the rest of the season and good luck for 2024's goals i'll be keeping a close eye uh, thanks mate thanks very much